Let's open our Bibles to Romans 14. Romans chapter 14. And consider the Word of God again on this subject that is different from the rest of the epistle, but needful for the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love to think of the Bible as a 66-book divine library where we enter this beautiful mahogany, carpeted, well-lit, comfortable, oversized, stuffed leather chairs, and there's some wonderful bindings on the shelves of 66 volumes. Or if there's chapters, and we consider chapters like this one, then there's 1,189 chapters or little mini-books in the Divine Library. Or there's 31,101 verses Capsule statements, simple sentences that the Lord gives to us. What a wonderful blessing we have in the divine library. And as we've come into this divine library, the Holy Spirit, which is our guide, has taken us around and brought us in the course of events to this Romans chapter 14. And I'm, I'm thankful for it and I appreciate it and I hope you do as well. And I hope that you can imagine and appreciate the fact that the church at Rome had matters of liberty at stake that had more biblical basis and more long-standing human tradition than anything we're going to deal with. Uh, And and that you can appreciate how the Apostle was trying to put the churches of the New Testament at peace, both here at Corinth and in other places. It's mentioned quite a few times in the New Testament, though in most other places it's just a brief mention of one or two verses. I hope that as you looked down through these verses... And the first four that we dealt with this morning, you appreciated the last clause of verse 3, where it says, For God hath received him. That we shouldn't be despising each other, and we shouldn't be judging each other, because God has already received them. So who really cares what I think about you? Or who really cares what anyone else thinks about you? And I'd like to remind you that when... The Lord addresses women, wives, in 1 Peter chapter 3. There are six verses given to them. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, is the Lord addressing wives. And then there's verse 7 for the husbands. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. A man's prayers can be hindered by not giving proper honor, knowledge, and accepting his wife as his equal in God's sight, according to 1 Peter 3, 7. And that's this that overriding principle that what Jesus Christ has done for us in making us acceptable to God should be the preeminent measuring stick that we have for each other. That's what counts. The Lord loved them. The Lord gave His Son for them. Jesus Christ died for them. The Holy Spirit regenerated them. The Lord sent the gospel to them. They believed it. They repented of their sins. They've joined this church. They want to submit to one another. They want to submit to the Word of God. We love them for all of those things, not these other things that like to creep up in our hearts and minds. And Lord, forgive us that. We're thankful for your divine library and for this particular chapter that's before us. After the last clause of verse 4, do you like the last two clauses that ended the last clause of verse 3? After that one, do you like the two clauses that ended verse 4? Yea, he, referring back to the hymn of the last clause of verse 3, he shall be holden up, for God is able to hold him up and make him stand. This is not referring 
to the general natural law of men that you don't criticize another man's servants of the first half of verse 4. This is appealing back to verse 3 and the hymns, the individual singular male pronouns there, that God has received him, so you shouldn't be despising or judging him, and God will hold him up and make him stand. And that's true with all of us. And so we shouldn't be picking on each other, because when we do that, we are picking on another master's servants. And that master is the Lord Jesus Christ in, the, in this particular metaphor. Verses 5 through 8. 5 through 9. Let's read them. Verse 5. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. Amen and amen. We take up with verse 5 after having been through verses 1 through 4. One man esteemeth one day above another. We do not need to spend long on these verses. I want to get through this chapter and then make it as practical to us as we can. You should understand the one man here to be a Jewish man, a Jewish Christian in the church at Rome. One man esteemeth one day above another. This Jewish man appreciated certain of the festivals, uh, feast days, Sabbath days, weeks, feast of weeks, feast of booths, Passover, day of atonement, trumpet sounding, first day of the month, new moons, and so forth. And so he esteems one day above another. And when he would come, let's just pick the day of atonement, which was the tenth day of the seventh month. When he would come to, if I, if I remember that correctly, and I don't really even care about memorizing that kind of stuff because we don't need memory of that stuff. But let's, oh, that bothers me though. The day of atonement, and I've already mentioned that, for him to see the Gentiles going to work on that day would be a horror to him. He esteems the day. One man esteemeth one day above another. So that day of atonement, one of the greatest days in the Jewish calendar, this particular Jew in the church at Rome, though he is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and knows that he stands before God and has been received by God based on the finished work of Christ, he still holds on to that day and he is allowed to by the Apostle Paul in this transitional period of the two covenants running side by side. After God tore the Jewish state away and tore the capital down and the temple down and the priesthood was gone and the altar and the sacrifices and the ordinances of the Jews basically fell apart so that they're kept very differently and only a few of them are kept today even by Orthodox Jews by the rules that the, New, the Old Testament gave for the keeping of those laws. He still wanted to keep the Day of Atonement. 
So that's what it's referring to when it says, One man esteemeth one day above another. It's not that it's the only day in the year he cares about, but this particular day, let's say it fell on Thursday of the year 2013, this coming week, that day would be special to him. He wouldn't go to work. He would keep it as a Sabbath from 6 p.m. the night before to 6 p.m. that day and to see Gentiles and to have been at church on Sunday and heard them inviting each other out to go do something on a Thursday, to have have a meal on a Thursday, that they're going to be working on Thursday, but they'd like to have lunch at work with someone. All those thoughts and all those words that he would hear in the assembly of the saints would be irritating to him. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Now that doesn't mean that God allowed anyone in the New Testament church to esteem Sunday equal to the other days and assemble any time he wanted. The churches of the New Testament assemble on the Lord's Day. They assembled on the first day of the week. They assembled on Sunday. It doesn't matter if you think that is sun worship or not. Because any other day of the week you pick, the names of those days all came from pagan gods as well. Oh, every week I have to deal with this particular issue. I cannot hardly comprehend the sacred cow that the Seventh-day Adventists and others have made about the Jewish Sabbath day, the seventh day of the week. But this Gentile here, he still gets, he still goes to church on Sunday. He knows that's the day that the saints worship. There is no exception in the New Testament. The Sabbath days and any other day of worship is put aside. This is his own personal liberty. Romans 14 is not about apostolic practice. Apostolic practice was for churches to assemble on the first day of the week. Acts chapter 20 verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verses 1 and 2. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16. There was no Sabbath left. It was nailed to the cross. That Jewish ordinance was nailed to the cross. And so let no man judge you therefore in respect of a Sabbath day. Colossians 2.16. So in verse 5, one man, a Jew, esteems one day above another in this coming week. Another man in the church, a believer in the church at Rome, esteemeth every day alike. Thursday's no different to him than Wednesday or Friday. He doesn't care about that. It could be the Sabbath. Would God allow a man in private, and I've been asked this question by some of you, if a man in private wanted to keep the seventh day of the week, a little special. Could he? Sure. Do it. But you're going to worship with us on the first day of the week. We're never even going to think about doing it the other way. Not even one Sunday out of the year, not even one Sunday out of the decade, not even one Sunday until the Lord comes. But if you don't want to work on Saturday or Sunday or you want to not work on Saturday, but you're going to take an afternoon or evening shift on Sunday, you know, we'll allow you your liberty. But you know, as a pastor, I would tell him, and I have done this before, you are playing with the Old Testament laws of Mount Sinai. You are forgetting about the Lord Jesus Christ and what He nailed to the cross. You're not at Mount Zion, you're at Mount Sinai. So don't spend too much time back there. But if you personally think that it's a creation ordinance out of Genesis chapter 1, two and three, and you want to take that day a little special, so be it. We'll probably allow it. You know, if there was any disputation about it, or if there was any argument about it, we wouldn't allow it because of the first verse right here. But there were many more days. When you go and look at passages of Scripture, look at uh, Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, you've got to remember the Jewish calendar was full of these things. 
Galatians chapter 4, the verse would be verse 10. Ye observe days and months and times and years. All the, all the Jewish calendar was just full of things for the Christian, for, for the Old Testament saints to do under Moses' direction. That was Galatians 4.10. If you come over to Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, it's worded this way, verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day. That'd be the day of atonement or some other special. That's a holiday. That's where the word holiday came from was a holy day. In respect of an holy day or of the new moon, that's a new month in the Jewish calendar, or of the Sabbath days. And there's lots of Sabbath days in the Old Testament. There's far more than 52. If you think there's only 52 Sabbath days in the Old Testament, you've got to remember that those week-long feast days, when they, when they lasted a week, the first day and the last day was always the Sabbath. So there were lots of Sabbath. That's why when Jesus Christ was on the cross, there's made mention in the Gospel of John about it being a high Sabbath day because it was a special Sabbath day related to the Passover, not just the weekly Sabbath. So back to Romans 14 and verse 5, One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. So we've got a Jew and a Gentile treating days very differently. And the the apostle has already taught that we're not going to despise either category, and he's going to say it further as we go forward into verse 6. But he says this before we leave the verse 5. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. In matters of Christian liberty where God has not ruled, every man should have a clear, established, settled, purposeful conscience in the matter. Liberties, that is things that God does not care about, become sin without a clear conscience. We shouldn't do anything that we consider a matter of liberty with a doubtful conscience. You want to have a clear conscience because look at the last two verses of this chapter. Romans 14, 22 and 23. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. That means your liberties you should keep to yourself. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. If you allow something in your life, make sure you have a clear conscience in the matter because if you allow something that you have a doubtful conscience about, you're sinning as the next verse explains. And he that doubteth, and he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So before we get to that 23rd verse, the apostles already laying out the rule to us in the last sentence of verse 5, let every man be fully persuaded, fully persuaded in his own mind that this is what he ought to be doing. Because if you're doing it with a doubtful conscience, because someone else in the church is doing it, or because your daddy did it, then it becomes a sin to you. You want to be fully persuaded and have a conscience that is clear in the matter. If you're going to do or not do something, your own mind should be fully convinced about it. Every man is singular, and his own mind is singular in this verse. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what the rest of the church is doing. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Because in these matters of liberty, it is you before the Lord. But part of being before the Lord is God put a candle in each one of us called our conscience and the spirit of, and the spirit in us, and we should obey it. So be fully persuaded in your own mind. You know, this is important because God does measure us in our, in our minds and the decisions that we make. You know, I I hope that you can see that there's value just in reassuring you about the importance of decisions 
and the hierarchy of authority even in a marriage and a family. Numbers chapter 30 is a book in the Bible dedicated to the fact that a woman, a daughter at home under her father or a wife under her husband could have all the conviction in the world about making a vow to the Lord. But if she made a vow to the Lord, no matter how great her conviction was, no matter how deep the obligation she felt in her soul to the Lord, the father could just disannul it with a word. The husband could just disannul it with a word, even though it involved the worship of God. Now think with me, so I, I want you to understand how this applies to Romans 14. What kind of things could a woman be so gripped about that she would make a vow to the Lord that her father or her husband could just blow away? Are those commandments, precepts, or statutes of Almighty God? No. What are they? Free will offerings and other things like that. Matters of liberty. See, a free will offering. Why is it called a free will offering? Because your will is free to make it or not to make it. It's not God's will. It's your will. A free will offering. And they had them in the Bible. Or you could make a vow to the Lord. If the Lord will do such and such for me, then when that such and such is fulfilled, I'm going to take a lamb to Shiloh. But the father could say, I can't spare you right now. You know, we've got a big, we've got a booming egg business out there and you've got to pick up eggs every morning and I don't have anyone else that I can spare right now. It's going to take you three days to go to Shiloh and come back. I can't do it. Boom. She's free. The Lord doesn't care that she made the vow and she didn't pay it because it was out of her control and that's in the Bible. But see, those are matters of liberty. Making a vow to pay something extra beyond the commandments of the Bible. It's not that a father or a husband could say, well, that particular commandment of God we're not going to keep in our house. But I want you to understand the importance of letting it, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Right. You know, when you take a position on something, don't do it in some doubtful way. Be solidly convinced of it and stand on it. That was verse 5. Let's come to verse 6. Repeating from verse 5 and what we've learned already so far in this chapter. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. So there's the issue of Jewish days in the calendar. Second half of verse 6. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. And somebody might ask, well, why is he giving God thanks when he didn't eat? He didn't eat meat. He had his vegetarian, he had his big giant salad, stuffed with all kinds of good things from his garden, but he didn't eat meat, but he gave God thanks. And so this sixth verse is moving into the fact that when you're looking across the aisle, not only is that person that does something different than you in their private worship, in their personal life, in their married life, in their family life, in their work life, not only are they received by God, not only can God hold them up, not only can God cause them to stand, but they're doing it to the Lord. And as long as in this church, everything we do, we're doing to the Lord. Because the Bible says, whether therefore ye eat, oh, or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. First right. Corinthians 10.31 And so the apostle is moving a little bit into this argument that when you look across the aisle, just re- they're worshiping the same Lord you are. You know, while you give God thanks for what you're about to eat in the way of meat, they're giving God thanks for what they're about to eat in the way of a salad. Hello, this is the apostle, I'm sorry. What is the difference between you two? 
Well, now that you put it that way, Paul, they're received of God, God's holding them up, God shall make them stand, and they're doing it as unto the Lord. I guess there's no difference at all. And that's that's what all the air is for, is to get to the bottom line that there is no difference at all. To to speak of anything important. You know, yes, it's called weak and it's called strong, but I'm not going to, you're not going to hear weak and strong out of me very many times because that gets dangerous itself, don't you? Or am I the only one here with a sense of, I'm strong and you're all weak? I don't even want us to think that way except when there are issues that the Apostle and the Lord Jesus Christ would want us to know as being weak. And to hold on to Old Testament things is weak. That's why you could see my hesitation talking about the Sabbath. I would be very, very careful about anyone trying to keep the Sabbath in any way. I would show as much mercy as I possibly could, but the Sabbath, you are starting to go back to Mount Sinai and forgetting about what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. Now, of course, we would never allow you to be a, to make it a matter of judgment where the church has to keep the seventh day of the week as a congregation or as a, as, the Lord's church, or in any way pleasing Him other than you personally wanting to do something for that seventh day. He that regardeth the day regards it to the Lord. The Jew that takes the day off of work because it's the the tenth day of the seventh month, it's the day of atonement, he's doing it to the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day, the guy that goes to work on the tenth day of the seventh month, he's thankful for his job at Lockheed, and he thanks the Lord. And he does it to the Lord. Lord, thank you for health and strength today. Thank you for my job. I'm going to go to work. I know my, I know my brother's over there taking the day off, but Lord, I know he's doing that unto you, and I'm doing this unto you, and I can't wait to see him on the Lord's day. Can we be that way? These were, these were huge issues. There's nothing that's going to come up between us. When I, let's not use the word between because that's you versus me, but among us. There's nothing that's going to come up among us that's as weighty as these Jewish-Gentile conflicts. And I hope the Lord's given me a little bit of wisdom, His wisdom, to proceed through the chapter dealing with these issues. And Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, prepare all of our hearts and minds before we get to the end of this chapter that it will be like falling off a log for us to love and accept and approve one another, no matter what differences we have with them in matters of Christian liberty. In Jesus' name, amen. That is my goal. That is my heart's desire. Thus I am proceeding this way. So you can understand verse 6 completely. The Jew regards the day, and he regards it to the Lord. The Gentile doesn't regard the day. He doesn't care about that particular Thursday that we're talking about by way of illustration. And to the Lord... He doesn't regard it. He's thankful for his six days to go out there and labor. Then the second half of verse 6, He that eateth, this is the Gentile eating. He's eating meat, pork. He's eating whatever he feels like, shrimp appetizers and carp and catfish. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. Because it says in 1 Timothy 4, 4, Every creature of God is good and to be received with thanksgiving. So he's done what is necessary to sanctify everything. And he gives God thanks, and he that's, that eateth not meat, that's what's understood there. That's an elliptical understanding that you're supposed to have when you read that. Because how long would a man be giving God thanks if he didn't eat? I think the rule of thumb is, you can live 30 days without food, and about 3 days without water, and about 3 minutes without oxygen. I think if you can remember the threes, then you'll be pretty safe. It's just a, a general rule. 
And he that eateth not, he doesn't eat meat, but he's eating vegetables, he's eating herbs, as it was mentioned up in verse 2, he giveth God thanks. Thank you, Lord. And so we're supposed to look at each other and remember that though someone in here may be doing something differently, about the whole myriad of subjects that we're going to consider at the end, they're doing it to the Lord. You know, if we all make sure that whatever we do, we're doing it to the Lord, and that's obvious, and if we're ever asked about it or we talk, if we ever even answer the question of what we do, and that's allowed, otherwise you wouldn't even know who eats herbs until you came to the potluck. Then there's some guy going along and pulling the apple out of the pig's mouth so that he can go to his table and eat the apple. We just don't want any doubtful disputations about it. We don't want people in the church going on a crusade. We don't want people in the church condemning others. We want to love one another and accept each other. And it includes the pastor. I love peace. I know God loves peace. And I love verse 17. You need to hear it again because you've got to memorize it before I get out of the chapter. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And if you go back and think about what I've taught the last five Sundays, I did not plan this because I'm not smart enough. But if you go back and look at the last five Sundays of being supping with the Lord Jesus Christ and being filled with all the fullness of God, when God is filling you, what does it say He fills you with? Romans 15, 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. It's all going to take care of itself. If we're, if, we're, if we're filled with the fullness of God, it's going to take care of itself. Now, we've got to some verses that I'm very thankful for. Verses 7 through 9. I want to be a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to know who are going to sell themselves into slavery with me today. I'm sold into slavery. And I'm thankful to be a slave. I'm thankful to be trapped. I'm thankful to be chained. I'm thankful to be forced. I'm thankful to have someone manipulate my heart. I'm thankful to have someone tell me what to do. Because none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived that He might be Lord both of the dead and living. Your life, my life, is not my own to make it what I will or you will based on our own desires or ideas on any issue. Because as we, as we look at all the choices we can make in life, God has commanded some of them and condemned their alternatives So those things are already fixed. And in all these matters of Christian liberty, God is the Lord of them as well because he gives us the rules for how we practice even those matters of liberty. We are the Lord's. I want every one of you to walk out of this place today a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word bond slave is a more emphatic term for a slave because it clarifies that you are owned rather than paid. If you're paid, you're called a, what kind of a servant in the Bible? Hired servant. But you know, if you were bought, then you're not a hired servant because you're not working for wages. You don't control anything in your life. 
you are a bond slave. And I'm a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want all of you to be bond slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if before I finish, you think that I've wandered a little way off the matter of Christian liberty, I'm sorry, but I'm not very sorry. Amen. Because I wanted to preach to you today about being a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I wanted all of you to think about it with me. My life is not my own to make it what I want. My life is to make it what the, the Lord wants out of it. And he's, he's put me in a situation, he's put me in roles that I have to fulfill. And you know what? I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful. My flesh, my flesh wants to quit this job every day of my life. Just like a bond slave, I assume, would want to think about his freedom. But I'm thankful I'm trapped in this job. And I'm going to do it the best I can. I'm trapped in it because the Lord Jesus Christ has called me to it. And you know my poor wife, I'm just going to speak for her. I didn't ask her about any of this, but you know, she's trapped too. Because she's my wife. You know, look at the job some of you have. Do you feel like it's a ball and chain? Are you thankful for it? You say, but I've got a forward... Oh, if you've got a forward boss. If you've got a forward boss, it is an opportunity for you to do something that God thinks is thankworthy. Aren't those wonderful? I love being a slave. I want to be a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these words just came powerfully at me this week. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. We are the Lord's even when we die. Do you know what happens at death? Who's in charge of you at death? You say, well, I just disappeared. No, Wednesday night was to keep you from thinking that you just disappear. You still have a body. Who keeps your body together? Every single soul, every single cell of it. The Lord Jesus Christ. Where does your spirit go? To the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. We are the Lord's. When does the moment of death come? The Lord Jesus Christ picks the moment of death. What gets you through that event? The Lord Jesus Christ standing up from His seat at the right hand of God and looking at you and taking you into His presence. We are the Lord's whether we're alive or we're dead. My job, my life, the way I treat my wife, the way I treat the elderly gentleman on the left-hand side of this assembly who's my father, all those things, I'm a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful to be a slave. And how did I become a slave? I was created by the God of heaven without asking me. He brought me into existence and created me, and He sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for me, so I am bought with the price. I stood shackled on the slave-trading block of humanity, and the Lord Jesus Christ came up, and I was the pitifulest, weakest, poorest genetics, smallest, shriveled up slave on that block should be taken out and just buried in the ground as fertilizer. And he took me. You know I believe in adoption. And you know I believe adoption is the greatest subject about salvation there is in the Bible. But that's just too high for me in this particular context. And the Apostle Paul doesn't talk about adoption right here. He talks about him being Lord over you. And when he's talking about Lord over you right here, do you know what word he's used that started with M in this context? Your master. Your Lord and Master. See, it's a Master that was discussed in verse 4. And this is our Lord. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. My brethren, let us give up our ideas on what is the right way to live, the wrong way to live, the right way to die, the wrong way to die, all those things that are outside the Word of God, and let's be the slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I want to say, and I want you to say, when you leave here today with the, with Saul of Tarsus, his whole world was just turned upside down. Everything he had ever invested in, every bit of his education was just turned upside down with a being that said to him, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That'll solve it all. The apostles going through arguments here that I, I love. We're, we are in the divine library. We have been sat down by the Holy Spirit in an overstuffed, rich, leather chair. And he's opened us to Romans 14. I, there's so much more in Romans 14 than if you'd have asked me a few weeks ago, you'd have said, what's in Romans 14? I'd have banged off some of the verses that I know from memory. But there's more here. I'm thankful that God hath received me in verse 3. I'm thankful that He's able to hold me up in verse 4. I'm thankful He's able to make me stand in verse 4. And I'm thankful that He's my Lord and Master. And I'll do anything He wants me to do. And I want all of you to be thinking about that. Even in matters of liberty, though God gives us some freedom, the primary concern is the Lord's sake. Whether we live or whether we die, let us always make sure that the Lord is first and the reason we are doing it is for the Lord. The reason we are doing it is not for peers. The reason we are doing it is not for feelings. The reason we are doing it is not for family. The reason we are doing it is not for any kind of pressure, tradition, or habit. The reason we are doing it is for the Lord. Because we no man liveth to himself. Because when you in here try to set up these little rules... You know, and if you want to do them for you and your family, that's okay. But if you try to press them on anyone else, you are no longer living for the Lord. You're living for yourself. You think that you have a better view of things and better ideas on things, and this chapter isn't allowing you that privilege. Other than for yourself. Your life did not originate with you. It is not preserved by you. And you were saved despite you. God created you, so you're all His. Proverbs 16.4, The Lord hath made all things for Himself. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. And that includes you and that includes me. Do you resent being in that verse? I love being in that verse. Right. The Lord hath made all things for Himself. I know why I exist. Is, is that a pretty big philosophical question? Yeah. Why do we exist? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know why we exist? For Him. No man liveth unto himself. The life of... I hope the life of Jonathan Crosby is the life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't want anyone following me. Except my, you know, poor Sherry. No, nobody should be following me. I'm not talking about an example that the pastor ought to be. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about us as individuals. I don't want anybody following me. I want everyone following the Lord. Amen. Everything I do, I want it to be directed heavenward toward the Lord. And you know, if we let that be our, the governing principle of our lives, the little things that we did and the little things that we allowed, we'd be very careful with them. And we wouldn't really care about very many of them because they don't point everyone to the Lord. And they don't necessarily please the Lord because everything the Lord wants us to do that pleases Him is in the Bible. The main issue that should truly matter for every Christian in all the decisions they make is to please Jesus Christ. If the Lord hasn't made a thing binding... Why would you ever want to bind anyone else with it? This seventh verse, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. Well, then what do we live and die for? 
It's given to us in the sandwich around verse 7. It's in verse 6 because notice how many times it was said unto the Lord, to the Lord, to the Lord, to the Lord. Four times in verse 6. And then in verse 8, it's unto the Lord, it's unto the Lord, we are the Lord's. It's, there's three times the Lord in verse 8. It's verse 7 is all about the Lord. But he's starting out with it this way. No man liveth unto himself. Have you ever heard people talk about the life they want to have? And how they're disappointed their life hasn't turned out the way they wanted it to be? I, I, could, I could start listing you all kinds of disappointments. I don't, I don't think about them. Why well, do I want to think about them? I just want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and I want you to be the same way. Paul was that way. You know, Paul's life was turned upside down on that road to Damascus and he was so happy with it. And he just went in a new direction for the Lord Jesus Christ. When he got to the end, he told the Lord, I'm ready to depart. I have fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished my course. Because the Lord put him on a new course. And I want, I want us all to leave here today. I'm a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a bond slave because I was bought. I'm not getting paid. Right. You know what? We're getting paid. I don't want you to think I'm cheating the Lord. I know that. There's a pretty big payday coming. It's like the universe's riches. And we're not talking about uranium deposits. We are talking about the riches of heaven are coming to us. We're going to inherit. You know what the Bible says? Hear the words. He shall inherit all things. That's a big inheritance. But on my way there, I want, I want to fulfill these verses. I want to be a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. You were bought with a price. Do you know what it says in 1 Corinthians 6.20? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore. What does therefore mean? It's drawing a conclusion. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You're not your own. For you're not your own. You're bought with a price. You're God's. I'm a bond slave. Whatever you say, Lord, I'll do. However I should treat Sherry, I'll do. However I should treat my children, I'll do. However I should treat my father, I'll do. However I should treat those church members across the aisle that eat things different than me and observe days different than me, I'll do the way you tell me to treat them. I'm not, I don't live unto myself. I live unto you. Anything that I choose to do in my life and let it become public or anything I do in my life that I keep private, I'm going to only do it unto you. And if we did that, it would shrink down the number of things that we get worked up about. If we were to serve the Lord as a bond slave, you should have no goals, even in matters of worship like diet or days, that are your own. They should all be the Lord's goals for your life. You know what? I want to tell each and every one of you, you cannot please God, you cannot be helpful for others, and you cannot be happy yourself until you give up your life. If you will give up your life and be a bond slave for the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll find your life. Ask me, do you still wish you were at the bank? Do you know what the people that came into the bank at the same time you did are making now? How many of them have retired already? And how much they got? Ask, well, you know, ask me. Are you thankful for the life that you've had serving the Lord even though it's a small congregation in Greenville, South Carolina? You have no idea. Last night, last night in the bed with my wife and the Lord showed me some verses out of the Bible. What other life is there? I've been in the bank. I've been all over this country. I've seen those kind of blessings, and they're nothing. They're frustration. She knows. 
to have a husband come home so frustrated from work. Because nobody knows how to, it doesn't matter what the reason is. But to be able to look in the Word of God and have the Word of God speak, it's called a divine library. I've been in the divine library this week. And I'm very thankful for it. And you know I've called it that before. Are you thankful for it? I want to be a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. And really, I don't want to say much more than that. I just want to keep telling you I want to be a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he made me. Then he bought me. I am not a hired servant. I am a bond servant. I owe him everything. Now, I know there's a whole lot more to me serving Jesus Christ than that, and I've already mentioned that. That's now the second time, but I am so thankful, and I want you to be thankful, and I want you to be excited. Do you want to have a successful life? Do you want to be able to please God even in matters of Christian liberty? Then don't live unto yourself. Get outside of yourself. Give up yourself. Bury yourself. Supposedly, when we all got baptized, we buried ourselves. Supposedly, you know, when we got baptized, we said that's the old Jonathan Crosby buried. Gone, dead, and now he's come up to walk in newness of life. What's the new life? For the Lord. What was the old life? For Jonathan. What's the new life? For the Lord. The huge change that should take place when we're baptized. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. You cannot please God, you can't be helpful to other people, and you won't be happy yourself until you give up your life. The happiest and the most contented Christians are those that have given up all their rights to God. Look at Matthew chapter 10. Let's sell ourselves into slavery. I'm sold. Not sold in the concept, I'm sold. He's already bought me. He's already bought you too. Severus, the centurion that we heard about this morning, how could he do that? How could he do that? Do you think he knew Romans 14, 9 through 11, even if he had never read them? Did he know those words? Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Is he pretty good to the ones that died for him? Have you read about their faith? Have you read about their fortitude? Sometimes they wouldn't even be chained. They would just stand there in the fire. I can't handle fire like that. I figured that they'd have to straightjacket me and tie me up every which way to keep me at a stake. But you know, the Lord gives grace. But it didn't matter to them. Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Are you a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ? We're going to walk out of here. You have hearts and minds right now that are thinking thoughts about other people. You're going to walk out of here. You have roles to fulfill. You have responsibilities to keep. You have duties to perform. If the Lord gave them to us, let's do them. Let's throw ourselves into them with all our might. Mm -hmm. We're bond slaves to the high king of heaven. I can't think of a better job. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness forever. Look at Romans 10. Hey, Matthew 10, I'm sorry. Matthew 10. Matthew 10, verse 38. He that, and he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. If we don't take up our cross as his bond slaves and follow after him to be crucified with him, we're not worthy of him. But look at the promise in verse 39. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. And if you fight in the middle, 
you won't get anything. If you fight in the middle of being unwilling to cast yourself upon the Word of God and be a bond slave for, the Jesus, for Jesus Christ, you won't get it. If you try to preserve your life, well, I want to do things my way. I want to have my fulfillment. I want to have my happiness. I want to blah, 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 blah. You're going to lose your life. He that findeth his life, that's the person that's trying to keep it, trying to save it, shall lose it. You're going to lose your life. It's going to be a mess. You won't please God. You won't help others. And you won't be happy yourself. If you're a child of God, the way to happiness is found in this verse. And this verse is very important to Sherry and me over the history of our lives because we've made some choices that were costly to our personal plans. And we won. Because God's word, God's word wins. He that loseth his life for my sake, see that's making, I'm a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, for my sake shall find it. The greatest fulfillment, the greatest usefulness, the greatest productivity, the most pleasure to God, and the most, the, the happiest inside and the most contentment is the more I'm cast upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, some days, some, sometimes, God forgive me, and He knows He's, He's already forgiven me. I pull back. And I try to reserve a little bit for myself. And I'm not as happy. I'm not as fulfilled. I'm not as productive. I'm a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ today. And I intend to be. And I've tried to be for decades. And I, and I want you to be that with me. For none of us liveth to himself and no man dieth to himself. Do you mean to tell me that I cannot live the way I want to live? That's right. You cannot. Do you mean to tell me that I don't have any rights? You do have a right. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Thank you, brother. Told you I'd work it in. I love that. You mean I don't have any rights? Yes, you do. Did you guys like that? It's Brother Jeff. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. No man dieth to himself, even death which is the end of our bodily lives, and the Spirit goes to God, should be to honor Christ. Do not think death is so personal that you can do it any way you wish. Because Paul said it belongs to God. A moment after you die, you'll appear before God and answer for all your choices on earth. We die unto the Lord. Your time of death isn't in your own hands, but in the hands of Him who gave you and takes your life. Paul was plain about it. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 20, So now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Paul was totally committed to living this way. He is the great example in the New Testament of being a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know how to be happy submitting to your father? Be a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. All, all, all you should need is, children, obey your parents and Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. That's all, you, that's all it takes. How can you be happy with your spouse? Because the Lord Jesus Christ said to be. How can you be happy with your job and a forward boss on the job? Because the Lord told you exactly how to do it. And it's so easy. Just do it. And the more you do it, the more you take up your cross and follow Him, you find your life. The more you fight it, I don't want to bear that cross. I don't want to carry that cross. You lose your life. It's the Word of God. It's not my testimony. Forget my testimony. It's worthless compared to the words of the Divine Library of Romans 14, Matthew chapter 10, Philippians chapter 1, and other places. Some people ask me about the human right to commit suicide, but your physical life on earth is God's gift for God. It isn't yours to do with it as you think. 
Do you mean to tell me I can't even die when I want, the way I want? That's right, you cannot. Because you're the Lord's. So it's the next verse. Verse 8, For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. I love the apostle just really pushing this point home in verses 7, 8, and 9. He tells us, first of all, you're not your own. No man liveth unto himself. That's no Christian man who has the right perspective on life lives unto himself. Everyone else we know lives unto themselves, right? Everyone that doesn't know Christ and hasn't fully committed themselves to Christ lives unto himself. But this is a Christian in the church at Rome. From a Christian perspective, no man, no Christian man lives unto himself. And no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ was called my servant. God's servant. In, in Isaiah 42, 10 or 11. In Isaiah 52, in verse 13. In Isaiah 53, in verse 11, he's called my servant. The Lord Jesus Christ was a servant of Almighty God because he served him and did his will. He always did those things that pleased his Father in heaven. You know, if, if we're a bond slave, you know, I, I'm trapped as your pastor. I'm chained to my wife. I'm forced to love the people in this assembly who have all kinds of different ideas from me. And I love every bit of it. Thank you, Lord. Just do more of it with me. Look at Psalm 119 and verse 35. We all know these verses. I'm just wanting to put them in the perspective of Romans 14 and living under the Lord. Psalm 119, verse 35. Psalm 119, verse 35. Make me. Make me to go in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I delight. Oh, I love that. Are you willing to say that today? Are we going to go out of here in just a couple of minutes? Bond slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. Make me. I love to be forced. I want to be forced to every righteous thing that there is in the Bible. I want the Lord to force me. I want the Lord to make me. I want the Lord to press me. I want the Lord to manipulate my heart and my desires so that I want to do, and I actually do, everything He wants me to do. I love that. And anytime, if he lets go of me, I'm going to just explode and go off in some other direction from, than what I should be doing. He hath worked in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He hasn't worked in us to will and to do of our good pleasure. It's his good pleasure. And we are to work that will out and that doing out with fear and trembling. And so let's fear today and let's tremble today that we would miss anything that God has commanded us to do. Let's be His bond slaves. Let's tell Him, as this prayer is in verse 35, Make me to go in the path of Thy commandments, for therein do I delight. Look at verse 36. Incline my heart unto Thy testimonies and not to covetousness. My heart by itself is not after God, but I'm asking God to unite my heart to not have double, to not be double-minded, and to think and desire only one thing, and that is to please the Lord, and that is to keep His commandments. Make me and incline my heart. I love the Lord manipulating me. Look at 141 and verse 4 in the book of Psalms. Psalm 141, same type of a, of a verse. Oh Lord, help us. Psalm 141, verse 4, Incline not my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity, and let me not eat of their dainties. This is, you know, for a bond slave, change my desires. I'm your bond slave, Lord. Change my desires. Make me to do the 
what you want me to do. I know I don't want to go out and work in that field over there. I'd rather work in this field over here, but make me to want to go over there. Incline my heart to that field. Direct me in that way. I'm going to go with what strength I have, but would you please strengthen me with might in my inner man by your Spirit that I will go and do what you want me to do. Verse 9, For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that He might be Lord both of the dead and living. Now the dead and the living there are not two categories of men. The dead and the living there are two states, two conditions, two positions of God's elect. The dead here aren't the aren't reprobates. The dead here are not the unregenerate. The, the dead here are elect who've died because they've died unto the Lord or, the, or they're alive. Jesus Christ is the Lord both of the dead and the living. When we're alive, He's our Lord. When we die, He's our Lord. He's still the Lord of our body. He is going to come back and get every single one of our bodies. Not a single body is going to be lost, and not a single part of any one body is going to be lost. And when we die, our spirits are received into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, where He protects them with an everlasting, permanent protection against the justice of God and against the principalities and powers of this world. There is no one that can lay a charge to us. He is the Lord, both the dead and living in every way that you can think about it. I'm a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you sell yourself into slavery with me today? You know, if you're baptized, we've already done it. But let's renew that commitment today. For no man, for none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived. You know what dying means? He died. On the cross of Calvary, when he gave up the ghost and said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. The Roman soldiers came by and checked him, and he was already dead. So they pierced his side instead of breaking his legs. And he rose. Three days and three nights later, he rose from the dead, and he revived. Revivication, we call it a revival sometimes. We use the word revival. It means to take his life again and have a full life. He told John in Revelation chapter 1 and 8, verse 18, I was dead, but I am alive forevermore. Amen. He revived in a way, and it's, it's put here almost like a little teaser. When the Lord Jesus Christ revived after rising from the dead, He revived into a whole new life. How long is He going to live? He ever, he ever liveth. Why is He a priest after the order of Melchizedek? Because Melchizedek had no death certificate on record. He lives forever. He has revived into a new full-blown life at the right hand of God. And why is He there? That He might be Lord, our Master, our Sovereign, our King, our Lord, both of the dead and living. And so all these three verses come together. No man liveth to himself. No man dieth to himself. Whether we live, we're the Lord's. Whether we die, we're the Lord's. Therefore, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. Paul repeats himself. You might think him a little redundant. I think him delightful. Amen. Because I am the Lord's. And when the time comes, and the time may come this week, I hope I can say, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And if my arms are too weak... Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And if I can't draw air in my soul, he is still my Savior. I am his bond slave. I will die as cheerfully, fully trusting you in my heart. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. I'm going to get out of this pulpit. I'm going to face you. 
I'm going to hug you. We're going to talk. I'm going to go home with my wife. I'm going to deal with my life. I hope we're the bond slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. He lives forever. He's bought us. God has worked in us to do His will through the great shepherd of the sheep. I want to close with Colossians chapter 3. Bond slave of the Lord Jesus. You know, if, if we live and if we die, and whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's, and we do everything as unto the Lord, as it taught us in verse 6, then these matters of liberty are, beginning, are going to be pretty easy for us to handle because we're going to be directing everything to the Lord. We would never hurt one of the Lord's little sheep. We would not eat wine. We would not eat meat or drink wine if we would cause one of the Lord's little sheep to be troubled by that because it's to the Lord. And the Lord has told us what we ought to do and the Lord has told us what we ought not to do. We keep all of those commandments and condemnations. And when he's told us that these other things don't matter, Keep them to yourself. Hast thou faith, my, my bond slave Jonathan, then just have it to thyself. Don't, don't even tell anybody else what you think about that. Just keep it to yourself. And, and if we're living to the Lord, that's easy to do. We want to do it that way because that's the Lord's way. Are you all baptized? If you're not baptized and you're of age, you should come and see me because you should be baptized. Right. But I address those of you that are baptized with me. Colossians chapter 3, If ye then be risen with Christ... The, apostle, the epistle of the Colossians was not written to people in heaven. So when it says, if ye then be risen with Christ, it is speaking to the rising. Back in chapter 2, in verse 12, where it says, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. This is talking about baptism. Your baptism was your bond slavery to the Lord Jesus Christ. If ye then be risen with Christ in baptism, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. I'm a, dead, I'm a dead bond slave. My life is hid with Christ in God. It doesn't look very special to anyone else. It's okay. It's special between the Lord and me. I want each one of your lives to be special between the Lord and you. You're all risen from the dead by baptism. Seek those things which are above. Set your affection up there. Your life is hid with Christ in God. What is my life outside of Christ and outside of God? It is a disaster. That's right. Amen. In the two of them, it's everything. Let's not live unto ourselves. Let's live unto him who died, rose, and revived, that he might be our Lord, both when we're alive and when we're dead. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word and the peace of this church. Amen. Amen.